This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Subscribe to the podcast Beyond Politics. They host some of the biggest names and smartest minds. Beyond Politics is from a former Democratic congressman who helped ignite Barack Obama's campaign and a former campaign manager and political columnist. They go beyond the usual chatter on politics, news, science, and books. It's politics and everything beyond. On Beyond Politics, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Broadcasting live here on AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota, and WCPT 820 Chicago's Progressive Talk. It is the Matt McNeil Show right here on your Monday. Good to be with you today. 952-946-6205-952-946-6205. Good news for you if you are a fan of quality radio. I know, not this show, but uh, John Fugelsang is going to be joining us here, coming up here in about 30 minutes uh, to talk about. If you have not seen... I'll tell you what, should we play it for him right now? Why not? We're going to play for you this. We're not going to play it during his interview, but I want to play for you this. This was him on MSNBC over the holidays. And if if you don't know John Fugelsang, John Fugelsang, of course, uh, a fantastic radio broadcaster. Uh, he's on uh, Sirius XM Progress. He's on, uh, you got a podcast there. He's on Stephanie Miller's show a lot. He's doing the Sexy Liberal show coming up here. I think it's on the 20th in San Francisco. He is just one of the smartest political minds I've ever I've ever met. And he's also one of the smartest religious minds I've ever met. I mean, he truly knows this Bible backwards and forwards. And he was the guy that inspired me to talk more about my frustration with how I was watching my Christian faith that is based on love, welcoming, compassion, and and, and caring for other people and being turned into this weapon of hate. And he has been one of the loudest and strongest supporters of progressives and liberals taking the Bible back, at least stopping Republicans from representing Christianity as something that it's not. And he he generally when he's on the the major networks, he doesn't usually do these things in, in kind of a kind of a, like he did this, but he went for the jugular on this. Let's play. This is about I think is it two minutes or so? It's about two minutes. Here it is. I would love to leave behind right-wing fundamentalists and Christian nationalists who use Jesus, whose birth we celebrate, as a prop while legislating and fighting against his actual teachings. There's a lot of right-wing brothers and sisters in this country who identify as Christian and they care about the manger and the crucifix and they ignore the 30 years of teaching. 33. Well, actually three years of teaching he did in between. Uh, Jesus is um, not an ally of the Republican Party. There is no overlap between Jesus and the policies of Donald Trump. In South Carolina, they tried to have a bill this year calling for the death penalty for abortion. We're so pro-life, we'll kill you. That's where we're at right now. That's Stephen Wright. I would kill for a Nobel Peace Prize. Seeing the Pope this week (laughs) enrage these right-wing Christians so much because he acted like Jesus in blessing gay unions. Jesus is not anti-immigrant. He commands people to welcome the stranger. He never mentions abortion. The Bible never condemns abortion. We've had two generations of Christians in this country who have been groomed to believe criminalizing abortion is 
something to do with what Jesus talked about. Christ was a peaceful, radical, nonviolent revolutionary, never mentioned gay people. He commanded you to pay your taxes, to welcome the stranger. Individuals and nations must care for the poor and sick in Matthew 25. He who lives by the sword must die by the sword, Luke 22. There's a reason why these right-wingers never try to put the Sermon on the Mount on walls in classrooms. It's because somebody read the Bible. Wow, Jesus' birthday, you're delivering. Listen, I'm the child of an ex-nun and an ex-Francisca. Oh, wow. And if you are, if you want to criminalize abortion and put people in jail because you're so Christian when Jesus never mentioned abortion, but you support the death penalty, which Christ actually opposed, the rest of us... a lot of men wrote the books, well, you know. But if you support those things, then the rest of us aren't obliged to take your claims of Christian piety seriously anymore. And the media is to blame because the media loves a bad guy and has made the Falwells and the Robertsons pass for what Christianity is for a generation. It's time to take the Bible back from the hypocrites and thugs. And there you go. And yeah, if you, it is an exceptional clip that he put out there. And it is... <laughs> That's it's it's kind of blown up. I mean, it's it's a lot of people are are putting it out there because and one of the things and by the way, if I can point this out about this clip that he put out there, it's saying watch the rest of the people's kind of face kind of drop there. You know, just you know, kind of you know, it because it's uncomfortable when a Democrat talks religion, and as a matter of fact, I can tell you right now, it's it's outright shunned now. It's never shunned when it's a Republican. Republicans can come on out and lie over and over about what the Bible says. And at no point does anyone sit out there and try to fact check them. Now, I want to, and I'm, we're going to talk about the media when I get John on the air. One of the things about this, which is it's incredibly frustrating. You don't have to, news journalists, you don't have to take a side when it comes to whether or not someone has the right or not right not to be religious. That is not, you don't have to do that. But if someone is saying that the Bible says something that it doesn't say, well, you can call that out and you should call that out. I, I'm not sure exactly why you don't call that out. I mean, it's, it's a matter of fact, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of stunned you don't call that out. That's not in the Bible. And especially when one of these people comes on out and makes the point, tries to make the argument, well, it's, you know, you know, it's, it's, you know, this is what it says. I'm a big Christian. I am the most Christian person you were saying. And here's something that's not even in the Bible. And he's right, by the way, Jesus never once condemned abortion, not once. Never once condemn gay people. And by the way, quick side note too, because there are passages in the Bible that do condemn homosexuality. Now, Jesus never said anything about that. And the first six letters of Christianity are Christ. So you got to follow what he says. He never once talked about it. Paul's letter to the Romans did and, and a few other places, Leviticus. Yeah, whatever. Glorified camping instructions there. But the, if you are going to hold the Bible up and say it, it tells us because there are passages in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, that basically say we have to condemn gay people, well, then you need to be pro-slavery because there are actually more quotes in the Bible that say that slavery is okay. And as a matter of fact, it was used for many years by slave owners to justify slavery. No joke. It says that in there. And if you are a modern person, it's like, well, no, of course, I don't think necessarily the Bible wants us to have slavery anymore. I think that that's a horrible thing and that's wrong. Perfect. 
You've already just proven then you're willing to filter the Bible through what Jesus wanted you to do, which is love, compassion, caring, you know, you know, you know, being empathetic to other people. That's what he wanted us to do. So, and by the way, just religious disclaimer, you do or don't do whatever it is you do or don't want to do. I'm Christian. All right. We'll get to, to Fugelsang more coming up here in just a little bit. I'm going to give it to you, Patrick, right now. I'm going to give you the opportunity. Who wins the national championship game tonight? I'm going to go with Michigan. I hope it's actually, I hope it's not, but just my head thinks it's Michigan. Uh, you know, it's the best team you, that you can cheat with. I, <laughs> they did. They, they did. They undoubtedly did. Wait a minute. Who is this guy? That's part of my staff that I'm seen standing next to all the time. Who is he? I have no idea how this guy got here. That was one of the strangest things because that story you're referring to was a, uh, uh, I think it was Central Michigan University. Somehow the staff member from Michigan, who is now no longer with the University of Michigan, got access to their sideline to be out there during a game and... I have no idea how he got the credentials to be out there. Yeah, it, that is a bit of a mystery. That is a bit of a and well, and not only that, but he and his buddies are seen at multiple Big Ten stadiums watching, you know, games the week beforehand, trying to figure out the play calls. Because what you see nowadays, a lot of these guys hold up big boards, and so the team can see them. And they were trying to figure out what the play calls were. I mean, heck, they thought he was at the. I don't know if they confirmed it, but. He, I, I heard a story. He was at the game last week in the stands. You know, as a, the Washington game. No, the oh, okay. uh, no, the Michigan game. <laughs> it's like he was at the watch. <laughs> Whoa, we're breaking news. No, and I mean, I probably shouldn't have been that alarmist about it, but it was like, maybe not a good idea for you to be showing up here. Yeah, I don't think it's a good idea. All right, enough of that. We'll we'll get to the other things here before too long. I wanted to, to chime in on. Um, Joe Biden was in, I'm going to read the story, how it should have been written. And I'm going to call Axios out because it's clear Axios is writing this from an opinion point, uh, from a specific opinion. Uh, Second major campaign speech for Biden recent days is he, uh, he was out there speaking. Uh, This was at the, uh, at a church in the, the church in Charleston, South Carolina, where there had been uh, the uh, Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, a white supremacist murdered nine members of the black congregation in a 2015 mass shooting. Um, this was, you know, his second speech in recent days and he seeks to cast former Tr- President Trump, the front runner to become the GOP nominee as an ex- existential threat to democracy, which he is. Um, Biden called white supremacy a poison during his remarks, said that throughout our history that has ripped our nation apart. This is no place for America. Not today, tomorrow or ever. Biden again slammed Trump over the false claims about the 2020 presidential election and called the former president a loser for not accepting the results. Um, Losers are taught to concede when they lose, and he's a loser. Biden, who has struggled to build support with young black Hispanic voters, sought to connect with the dissatisfied black supporters doing his Monday swing through the state. I got to tell you right now, um, after um, Trump said he would have negotiated with the slave owners in the Civil War, I don't know if he's going to have nearly the problem that the media is presenting that he's going to have. But sure, fine. Because okay. the implication is, boy, oh boy, they're, uh, you know, Trump's resonating. Yeah, I'm sure the African-American community is swarming all over him now that he's kind of pro-slavery, or at least implying he would be, or a little, a little slavery. 
a little slight slavery. Well, okay. Um, here's why I'm going to criticize Axios, because obviously that's the most important part of the story. I mean, he's out there uh, speaking at this church where this massacre happened at the hands of a white supremacist. But that's not how Axios started the story. Axios said, protests calling for a ceasefire in Gaza briefly interrupted President Biden Monday during a speech in Charleston. About a half dozen protesters were quickly escorted out of the event as the crowd enchanted four more years in what could be seen as a microcosm of the deep divide among Democrats in response to the Israeli Hamas war. A war. I understand the passion. I've been quietly working with the Israeli government to get them to reduce significantly get out of Gaza. So, uh, you know, the, the, I want to make sure we understand. Six people in a full church complain, as Axios describes it, it was a deep divide. Now, I'm not saying there aren't people. And first of all, I'm, I'm want to make sure I'm crystal clear. Once again, Israel did not deserve what Hamas did to them. Absolutely. They had the right to respond. And I will back that up all day long. To say they've been heavy-handed is not is is yeah not is an understatement. Um, they this clearly seems to be some sort of larger scale, you know, taking over of the Gaza Strip completely. Um, that's what at least it seems like, with no concern whatsoever for the people who are there who are not Hamas, who are just Palestinians, and it has been heavy-handed. I hope that they can find some solution here um, that is is quick. I don't know if you guys on the the left who are upset with Biden have heard what Trump plans to do. They want to line up every Palestinian and put a bullet in their head, no matter how old they are. That's what some of them have said. And it is a little bit concerning there. We'll take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show. the Matt McNeil Show on your Monday. Once again, John Fugelson coming up here in about uh, about 10 minutes or so. No, going back to this, this speech here, first of all, I want to once again call out Axios because Axios clearly wrote this from the mindset of chaos in the Democratic Party. Chaos! Not the fact that here is Joe Biden out there. And I want to make sure we point out the the real, the, how bad this is, how how intentional this is by Axios to basically lead with conflict in the Democratic Party versus Trump spoke to a roaring crowd of supporters. You know, you don't you don't ever hear Trump. Trump has got real divisiveness within the party. Well, I mean, he's got a you know, I would say there is far more divisiveness within the Republican Party right now with DeSantis and Nikki Haley and Chris Christie. And Vivek Ramaswamy, I would say there was far more discourse within the Republicans than there is about the Democrats. So it's really kind of insulting when you see Axios out here writing this story from a, it's chaos on the Democratic side, as opposed to what should be the lead, Joe Biden's next speech talking in this church, saying that this we have no place for bigotry and racism in this country. That's the lead. And to take six people... And I understand it's only a, it's it's a representation of a, a large group of people that are there. I get that, but to try to play this out as a deep chasm, oh, it's, it's, they're never going to unite on the left. Screw you, Axios. Seriously, you guys need to be doing a better job than this. And then on top of it, 
Uh, may I also add that it is, if you are one of these people on the left who is like, I'm never trusting Joe Biden again. You know, we had this happen once before where there was this feeling that, oh, we'll just put Trump in charge. How bad could it be? Babies in cages. He and his ilk have already inferred that they will let they will let Israel do whatever they want to to the Palestinians. And if that is line them all up and put a bullet in every one of their heads, they will say, well, that's what happens. And they'll do that with a smile on their face. So you may want to get upset, and I'm not saying you can't be upset about what's going on over there. Absolutely you can be. I don't know how much, you know, considering the people that are in charge of Israel right now, I'm not exactly sure how much, any, say, anyone outside of that country has to has as far as sway over that government. But at the same time, you know, you do understand that, you know, where, you know, voice your concern to this, but at the same time, you're not going to be a fool and sit this one out. Because I was like, I vote, I didn't vote for Joe Biden because I'm upset about Gaza. What do you mean all the Palestinians are getting murdered? I didn't vote for that. Yeah, no, you yeah, you did. Yep, yep, yes, you did. Uh it's complex times, but it's not really complex times, if you want to know the truth. And like I said, I'm upset with Axios. I'm also upset with Nancy Mace. Now, once again, I want to remind people about Nancy Mace. Nancy Mace is the Republican that represents probably the most liberal district in South Carolina. It is basically the coastal region from Charleston that runs down to the coast. It's got Hilton Head and Beaufort and a few other towns in there. It is a fairly, I have been down there numerous times. It is actually a more democratic area than you'd think. Nancy was, of course, always one of these people that portrayed herself as kind of this, you know, counterculture. I'm not as extreme, but, of, you know, it, what as good as Republicans can do with this. I mean, it, let's be honest about it. She still voted every time with Trump. She still voted with this. She really never separated herself. But it, she would at least come on out and say, hey, I'm not comfortable with this before she went and put her tail between her legs and voted the way Trump told her to. But she has all of a sudden since in this since this, you know, House term started become much more of an extremist pro-Trump zealot. She came on out today and this is, you know, she had a video. I'm not going to play the video for God's sakes. No, but she did have a tweet and this was from social media today. Joe, Joe Biden will visit Charleston and try to use the pulpit of the church to further divide our nation and distract from his failures in the economy, the border and foreign policy. Uh, okay. So you, he's going to go to a church that was the site of a mass shooting where a white supremacist murdered black people. And you think him speaking there is going to further divide the country? Okay. So are you in say, saying that we need to be respectful of the white supremacist? Because that's kind of how I'm taking this. I, Nancy, I, I understand you think that moderate is a little bit more conservative than you think it is. But it's not, hey, what about the feelings of the white supremacists? Uh, Nancy, I think you're missing the boat a little bit on that. That being said, can I? <laughs> this is one of those things where it's damned if you do, damned if you don't for the Democrats. Because let's say that Joe Biden got an invite to go speak at this church and he didn't go. Do you think Nancy Mace would put out there some, well, I'm glad that he didn't go because, you know, hey, at least then he's not going to use the pulpit of this church to try to divide this country further. No, she would say, how dare Joe Biden? 
Like I'm even speak at this church where this massacre happened. Of course you would. Of course you would. It's kind of one of those things. So yeah, first of all, you should take any kind of criticism from her, or any Republican that way. What would be their reaction if the opposite was true? How dare Joe Biden come and speak in this town? Well, what if he didn't come speak this? How dare Joe Biden not come speak in this town? That sort of thing. You know, it's it's that's kind of the way they are. But it is it's it's it is just amazing to me that this is the woman that once again ran as a I am an independent thing. No, you're not. You're a far right loon ball now. And this whole narrative of we have to embrace and make the feelings of the extremist far right feel them feel good about themselves is terrifying right now. Here's Nancy May saying, we don't want to further divide their nation by recognizing a white, you know, the, the massacre a white supremacist did against the population of this church. What are you talking about? How about Ellie Stefanik going on uh, television and talking about the hostages, the J- January 6th terrorists, the insurrectionists who attacked the Capitol, who have been taken to court and found guilty and put into jail. I mean, two of them weren't found guilty, but the rest of them have been found guilty or pled guilty. And they're serving their prison times and they're in prison and she calls them hostages because victims, we're the victims. That's all we are is the victims. That's all we are. It is, this is just, it's somewhat terrifying. And by the way, if there's one thing that tells me maybe their numbers are not nearly, I, I think there's there there's internal polling within the Republican Party that is terrifying them. And I, I think that they're realizing that their only hope might be to embrace this extremist far right and try to scare as many people away from the polls as possible. That's kind of, at least that's where I'm kind of thinking this is going. It is really, the way they're all acting right now, all these Republicans who are supposedly kind of moderates and kind of mainstream, well, they're not anymore. They're all out in that far right. We'll take a break, come back. John Fugelson when we do return. Broadcasting in the evenings on WCPT 820 Chicago's Progressive Talk and in the afternoons on AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. It is the Matt McNeil Show, and it is my absolute privilege and pleasure to welcome on the show the man from that audio clip I played earlier this hour, John Fugelsang. Tell Me Everything with John Fugelsang is on Sirius XM Progressive 127. You can podcast the show. Is the podcast pretty much available everywhere, John? Yeah, that's uh, called the John Fugelsang Podcast, and that's at Apple and Stitcher and Google and wherever you get those things. You're also, of course, a regular with our fan favorite here in MSP is Stephanie Miller. And you are you doing Sexy Liberal with her on the 20th? Yes, we will be doing the first live date of the year for the Sexy Liberal Comedy Tour with House Sparks and Frangela, and that's going to be uh, in San Francisco. So everyone in the greater Minneapolis-St. Paul area... Begin your commute now. Get there by <laughs> one year to the day before Joe Biden's second term begins. We want to see you in San Francisco. Um, I I can't compliment you enough. 
on that clip that we had from MSNBC where you you do what you've always done. It's it's if anyone's ever listened to you, if everyone heard you, this is who John Fugelsang is. You're very good at this. You know your Bible backwards and forwards. And the reality is, is you and you've inspired me because you point out it's hard to be a Christian like myself who has watched a religion that's based on love and caring and compassion, and it's turned into constantly this weapon saying things it just does not say, and you in two minutes absolutely laid waste to the entire argument that conservatives make that that anything that they're doing is Christian. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, there's, there's really just... Um, you you got to remember, whenever I talk to Donald Trump supporters, I always ask them, can you please cite one actual teaching of Jesus that uh, guided your vote for Donald Trump? One actual thing Jesus talked about that Donald Trump has fought for. Let's make it easier. Can you give me one actual thing Jesus taught that the Republican Party has fought for this century? And Matt, I asked this question to find out how little these Christians know about that prop they wave around and pretend they've read called the Bible. Uh, number one thing I get is abortion. The Bible's not against abortion. Sorry, I didn't write it. Uh, God states in Exodus 21 that a fetus is uh, property and a woman's life has more value in his eye. That's not saying the Bible's pro-abortion, not saying that Jesus is pro-abortion. What I'm saying is that two generations of Christians now have been systemically groomed to prioritize something Jesus never talked about, punishing people who terminate pregnancies. And they prioritize that while rejecting and voting against everything Jesus actually does talk about. And the nice thing about this, Mr. O'Neill, is this goes for atheists and believers alike. Whether you're an atheist or a believer, you're going to have to deal with right-wing Christians. Mm -hmm. And they use the Bible as their camouflage. What I'm offering is uh, the camouflage removal business, because I'm tired of it, Matt. We have to take the Bible away from these hypocrites and frauds and these flock-fleecing Pharisees. And this is something atheists and sane people of faith have to do together. You don't need to believe in every word of the Bible as absolute literal fact to use it against these Christian nationalist frauds. Well, you bring this up in regards to, you know, when the right insists the Bible condemns LGBTQ population. And Jesus himself no. never did. And no. I, I remember the one thing I, I saw there is an, another person who likes to talk about the truth in the Bible, and he's a TikTok guy, and I, and I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he says, if, you know, yes, there are some places where the Bible does condemn you know, homosexuality. But the reality is, is if you're going to go with that, there are far more places in the Bible that support slavery. Now, we all nowadays say, okay, yes, that was wrong. That's, that's good. And if you can do that, you sure can do it for the other things because Paul's letters to the Romans or Leviticus or anything like that, that's not Jesus, and it's not clearly not in line with the teachings that Jesus put forward. Yeah, um, you're right. It's like this, what I say to these right-wing loved ones, and we all have that cousin, yes. that aunt, that uncle. We all have our uncle racist and our aunt dead inside who come over at the holidays. We, or that guy from high school you're still friends with on Facebook and you don't know why, that Trump guy. Um, there is no part of the Bible that they follow or obey that says being gay is wrong. No part of the Bible that they themselves respect or follow say that being gay is wrong. Nobody follows Leviticus. 
right? I mean, if you believe Leviticus, then you have to, <laughs> you shall not lie with a man as with a man, that's an abomination. Well, that demands you stone gay men to death. Now, I don't know if the homophobes have noticed, the gay guys have been working out, they're ready for you. But also, you know, you have to stone adulterers to death. And I'll let you guys work that out with President Trump on your own, okay? Yeah. No one follows Leviticus. You have to, it says all mankind is an abomination. Eating <coughs> shelf, shellfish, Matt, <coughs> excuse me, shell. <clears throat> shellfish is an abomination and you're right romans is paul and romans isn't even about gay men yeah and sodom and gomorrah is not about consensual same-sex relationships sodom and gomorrah is about a mob of guys trying to gang rape a couple of angels and if you homophobes think gang rape and consensual relations are the same thing you're dating the wrong men but at the end of the day matt homophobia is an insult to jesus whether jesus is literal fact or a myth or the original innocent brown-skinned man executed by the state you don't need to believe in the bible as literal fact to call these frauds out they don't follow the very book they have weaponized against people who are weaker than them the new york times uh just had a story that came on out and it talked about evangelicals in Iowa. And it's actually, I, I want to talk a little bit more and unpack this a little bit because I'm going to read one quote from the, the article. In 20, 2008, over half of Republicans reported attending the church at least once a month, according to data compiled from the Cooperative Election Study at Harvard. In 2022, over half of Republicans reported attending church once a year or less. This is... It, it, I think what yeah. we're seeing is I don't know if they, are they they leaving it because they they basically feel as if they can you know it, it, they it's own no, it, Matt. No. they own it they own God <laughs> they own Jesus they own religion they're fundamentalists mm. I mean the like the, the the liberal and moderate Christians the liberal and moderate Jewish people, the liberal and moderate Muslim people. You don't hear about them on the news too much, do you? No. You know why? Because they're the ones getting along with each other and making families together, working together, learning together, moving civilization along together. The liberal and moderate, boring, bore, and sane conservative Christians, Jews, and Muslims. They're over here. But then it comes to the fundamentalists, the right-wing extremes of all three religions. And that, Mr. McNeil, is where all the fun comes in. Because it is always the extreme conservative religious Christians, Muslims, or Jews that are making the world so interesting for everybody else who really deeply believe that God hates the same people they hate mm -hmm. and God wants dead the same people they'd like to see dead. I always say this to my atheist friends. It's not religious people. It's the... It's the fundamentalists and fundamentalist Muslims have more in common with fundamentalist Christians than they do with liberal Muslims. Mm -hmm. Right-wing Christians have more in common with right-wing Muslims. They're the homophobes. They're the ones who, who don't like female sexuality. They're the ones who are against abortion. They're the ones who think that violence is okay if my side does it. They're the ones who think women are second-class citizens. It's no insult to the world's religions to say the more conservative your sect of a religion is, I don't care what religion it is, the more it puts down women. Mm -hmm. That's every religion across the board. And so I'm just tired of seeing the religion of my mom and dad being prostituted by these frauds. So, and I'm just, I, and I know there's a lot of people who are really sick of it and they're really ready to take the Bible back from these hypocrites when we're done taking the flag back from the thugs. Well, when you when you have these people that are avoiding church, and once again, that's once or less a year for these evangelicals yeah. who once again always scream this. 
the first thing that pops into my mind is, well, if you're going to church, you're going to have to hear like the gospel of Matthew. I mean, that's just, that's comes up now and then. And I yeah. almost wonder if what it is, is the, the, the teachings of them, it, it's, it's clearly not based on the Bible or Christ anymore. It's based on Republican talking points. And if it doesn't yeah. match that, this is why they're avoiding it is because, well, there they tell me I've got to feed the hungry and I sure as some heck not going to go for that. That sort of thing. That's exactly right. Matthew 25 is really important. That's where yeah. Jesus gives his marching orders and he says he's going to gather all the individuals and nations. Matt, that's important because our right-wing Christian friends will like to tell you, God says to take care of the sick and take care of the poor. doesn't say the government should pick my pocket to do it. doesn't say government should do that. Well, yeah, he does. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus says he will judge all individuals and nations in Matthew 25 by how well they care for the poor, care for the sick, care for those in prison, and welcome the stranger. Everything the Republican Party legislates and votes against. And he says, you trans-hating friends, the way you treat the least of these people is the way you treat me. So the way you treat a transgender, illegal, immigrant Muslim is exactly the way you treat Jesus. It's right there in the book. It's the spiritual test. But Jesus spends pretty much all of his time calling out these right-wing, conservative, Christian, authority hypocrites. And, you know, I'm sorry. He, he modeled it for me, Matt. Jesus taught me the joy of calling out pious right-wing frauds. <laughs> I, I've got to read the last part of this article from the Times. This is pretty amazing. Yeah. This election is part of a spiritual battle, said Joel Tini, a 27-year-old local evangelist who does not lead a church. When Trump becomes the 47th president of the United States, there will be a retribution against those who have promoted evil in this country. I mean, it goes back to exactly what you're saying. They, yeah, want, yeah. they want to come after people. I mean, it's, all, it's all Old Testament, you know? I mean, yeah. it's all, it's oh, all yeah. vengeance. Uh, you, you you cannot follow Jesus and dig revenge, okay? Like the only thing Trump and Jesus have in common, Matt, they both spent a lot of time with prostitutes and they both used ghostwriters. And that's really it. Um, that's, that's all I can find. So if anyone thinks it's possible to follow Donald Trump and Jesus, that means they've never read either one of their books. So this 27-year-old clown you're referencing here is an absolute fraud who has either never read the Jesus parts of the Bible or has read them, chosen to reject them, but keep Jesus around to wave as a prop to boast of his own piety. Because for 99% of these right-wing evangelicals and right-wing Catholics too, their religion seems to consist of uh, criminalizing abortion and pretending they're better than you. Yeah. And that's American fundamentalism or Christian nationalism is the uh, the label we're now using for it. But it's been there all along. It was it was there for slavery. It was there for oh, yeah. American apartheid. Uh, it's been there supporting all these horrible wars. It was there for Iraq. Uh, it's there now. And, you know, Donald Trump exemplifies it again. I ask every conservative, tell me one Jesus teaching. And the first thing they say is abortion because they don't know. Mm -hmm. Second thing they say is strong border. The only commandments in the entire Bible on immigration are borders. Old Testament and New mm -hmm. is the commandment, welcome the stranger. Yeah. It's in Leviticus and Matthew. And then number three, they say, uh, he mo uh, Trump moved the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem. And that's when I have to explain that neither America nor its embassy is mentioned in the writings of Jesus in 30 <laughs> AD. So that's what we're up against, Matt. It's like I, I do find that many atheists know the Bible a lot better than a lot of these so-called believers. And they're going to keep on doing it. I'm yeah. just saying, let's take away their camouflage. Let's stop. And this is a media job. Oh, you know yeah. what? Because the media, we grew up in a world that said, uh, you're either against abortion 
or you're an atheist. You're either a non-believer or you're screaming at women outside clinics. Those yeah. are the binary choices the media has presented us. If you hear Christian, you automatically think intolerant right-wing person because the media understands the power of hate watching. That's who they book, the Falwells and the Robertsons that we hate, and they become famous, and, and then that's the standard. Mm -hmm. So I've known too many decent Christian people. I, I, I just think these frauds have to be called out, and it was really great for the MSNBC Christmas end-of-the-year special. They let me do it in primetime. The, I, I mean, when you look at how they're evolving this religion, it's not going to be a religion. I mean, it's, it's closer to them all getting matching sneakers and getting the biggest vat of Kool-Aid they can at this point. I, I'm a little concerned about where that's going. Because, I, I mean, it clearly is they're, they're ready to abandon the whole idea of Christianity and go into this, the, the cult of Trump. Yeah. I mean, that, I would argue that's already happened. Yeah. You know, they'll, they, they talk a good game, but, I mean, they abandoned Christianity when they voted for a guy who promised to bring back torture and turn away war refugees. Mm -hmm. And again, it's not their fault. We've been groomed in this country. When I was a kid, I, I was horrified because my parents always voted Democrat. They were very Catholic. We were the most religious family on the block, but they voted Democrat. And we didn't talk about abortion, but I knew my parents supported abortion rights. And I thought that meant they were going to hell because that's all I learned from television. Yeah. It wasn't until years later I actually talked to my mom and dad and then realized, oh, my God, the majority of American Christians support women's reproductive freedoms and don't think women should go to jail over something the Bible never quite gets around to banning. God literally gives abortion tips for unfaithful pregnant wives in Matthew 6. 5. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. We'll, we'll, let's finish up on this in a second. got to take a quick break. John Fugelsang joining us right now. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950 and at WCPTA 20. WCPTA 20 in Chicago, AM 950 in Minneapolis, St. Paul. It's the Matt McNeil Show. John Fugelsang, kind enough to join us here today. And John, piggybacking on what you said at towards the end of that last segment, which was in regards to the media and how it covers things. It is your whole video clip. There's one, uh, there's a kind of a note there that says, look at how uncomfortable people get. And there is a validity there. There's a tendency when liberals bring up Christianity that it's, oh, whoa, we're crossing into territory we shouldn't. But yet these same news outlets consistently let conservative after conservative exactly just, right. yeah, they spew all exactly this stuff right. and they never once call them out or just say, hey, and like I said, I, I understand you might not want to go out there and, you know, get into a point, your question of religion, but you can at least no, say the Bible, does, the Bible doesn't say that, you know, so why are you as a person who claims to be a Christian saying this? I, I, it is remarkable the double standard that exists in the news media when it comes to the, which political party is talking about religion. Christianity pop, propped up slavery in this country for centuries. Yes. Christianity was prostituted and mutilated to prop up slavery, and it was also used to oppose slavery. And Christianity was used to justify segregation, and it was used to oppose segregation. It was used to justify homophobia and cruelty and exclusion to transgender people. And it's being used right now, not on TV, but on the very micro-local level. There are tons of Christian denominations that offer compassion and understanding and acceptance to LGBT people. You know, we, we forget all the time, when Columbus came over here and began massacring the indigenous people, it was the Catholic priest on his boat, Bartolomeo de las Casas, who wrote to the queen, objecting to Columbus's cruelty. The first ever act of protest in this hemisphere by a white person 
was a Catholic priest. So there's a long history of Christianity being the villain here. But Dr. King has proved there's a, an equally long history of Christianity resisting and being a leading force in that. But you don't get on TV talking about that too much because everybody getting along is boring and it's bad for capitalism. What Republicans <laughs> offer is much, much better for the cliques. And look, it's not the responsibility of the media to present Christianity accurately. Their responsibility is to their shareholders to get ratings. I get it. Mm -hmm. But if you're booking Mike Pence on your show and he's talking about religious freedom, ask him, where in your Bible does Jesus drive the gay wedding cakes out of the temple? Why are these people never asked about the core tenets of this faith? They use this religion as armor. They use this religion to burnish their credentials, and most of them directly legislate against what's in the damn book. Do you think a lot of that was when they started this back at the beginning of that fight in the 1970s when uh, Roe v. Wade ha happened and they started this, that people, it was just such a in-your-face thing that had not really happened that much. It wasn't something that was there, that the media was afraid to challenge it? I think that, you know— Jerry Falwell, who I got to debate on Bill Maher's show when I was very young, mm -hmm. he was a segregationist. He opened whites-only schools, and he kept on supporting apartheid and, and told people to buy cougarons in the 80s. Um, these guys lost big when civil rights won the day. And when Dr. King was murdered, they couldn't come out and talk the way they had talked before about the good old days. They were kind of cast adrift for a, a good decade or so, and then Nixon made the conservative brand even more toxic. It was four years, Matt. Four years after the Roe v. Wade ruling, before Jerry Falwell ever mentioned abortion, when the conservatives realized it during Jimmy Carter's term, they realized this was their way back. This was how they were going to get right wing men who opposed everything Christ talks about into the White House. And that was when it was hatched. And that has been the Christianity that's governed this country, why abortion opposition has replaced the teachings of Jesus for conservative Christianity. And they pulled off an incredible thing in this country. They got the followers of Jesus to vote against everything Jesus ever talked about by talking about abortion, which Jesus never talked about. Beautiful in its evil simplicity. And it's worked. But you know what? It's not working anymore because the majority of American Christians support women's reproductive freedoms. And uh, we've all been gaslit for our entire lives to think that the Christian position is anti-abortion. Ask a rabbi about this. The Bible's not against it. Jesus is against the death penalty, Mr. McNeil. And I I've come to believe that if these right-wing Christians, if they're going to try to criminalize abortion because they're so Christian— but they support the death penalty, which Jesus actually opposed. The rest of us are obliged to not take their claims of Christianity seriously ever again. Amen to that. Uh, you know, and by the way, my favorite priest right now, Franciscan too. So, you know, yeah, it, it's yeah, it, right very solid. Uh, are you going to get invited on? Do you think, you're, have you gotten more invites to come out into media or are they, are, is it going to be one of those things where, okay, we don't want that guy on because he speaks the truth too much. Oh, you know how it works. You know, I, it, it, it's a game. And I, I have I, I took a few years off. I used to do it a lot. And then I took a few years off from doing a lot of media. But I began last year doing Stephanie Rule's show a few times. And I did a, I did a, I've done News Nation a few times. And I do like Joy Reid's show and stuff now and then. Um, but no, I, what I talk about is third rail stuff. It scares a lot of people. The folks on the panel with me, I think there's been some misstatements mis about how they were. They were all groovy and cool and, and very supportive. But um, I, a lot of people get freaked out when you talk about this. But I find, Mr. McNeil, uh, far more people uh, want to hear this kind of talk because oh, yeah. 
they say the largest growing religious group in America are Mormons. I don't believe that. I think the largest growing group in America are people who were raised religious and now consider themselves spiritual mm -hmm. because they're turned off to the hypocrisy of men in dresses and funny hats. Or going into a church and being told you have to vote Republican. And I, that's that's something when when the Council of Catholic Bishops decided to do that, that's, you know, yeah, yeah okay, we're done here. Like, it's like on immigration policy alone, the Republican Party is in direct opposition to Jesus and the Old Testament. Now, I'm not saying the Democrats are the Christian ideal by any no, such no. at all. No, nope. but I'm very happy saying that, and, and we can, I'll sit here all day and tell you where the Democrats fall short. But a, Democrats don't strut around like they own Christianity. They haven't weaponized it. They don't use Christianity as an excuse to be cruel to marginalized peoples. And b, Democrats are still light years closer to what's actually in the Gospels than the Republican Party. Again, on, on immigration policy alone, but pick anything, pick taxation, pick a foreign relations. I mean, you can't celebrate revenge or the death penalty uh, or, or I mean, look at Trump's budget. He, he, he made the rich much richer and his budget called for cutting Medicaid and Medicare. I mean, it's like, what more proof do you need? These people haven't read the damn Bible and you don't need to believe in every part of the Bible as literal fact to call them out on it. Uh, you want more of this. You just do. Tell me everything with John Fugelsang's on Sirius XM Progress, Progress 127, the podcast, the John Fugelsang podcast available everywhere. And of course, Stephanie Miller, the sexy liberal show in San Francisco. John, you make my show better. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time. I'm insufferable. You're great. Thank you so much, everybody. Happy New Year. John Fugelsang will take a break. Come on back. Hour two up next. Hour number two of the show here. Matt, Patrick. Yeah, that was good. John Fugel sang last hour. <laughs> Dude knows his stuff. And, you know, I get there's a lot of Republicans out there who it's like, how dare you try to talk to us about religion? Then shut your pie hole when you're talking to everyone else. See, this is the this is what my job is. I'm not here to pick a fight about generally something that no one's talking about. My job is to point out when you guys are pulling stuff out of your backside and acting like you've just discovered the rainbow. You guys don't understand. I want to, let me, where, where is that story here? Let me, let me see if I can find it here. Um, the, here it is. The, the this is this is once again from this New York Times story that that came out today, and this is talking about evangelicals in Iowa. Karen Johnson went to her Lutheran church so regularly as a child that she won a perfect attendance record as an adult. She taught Sunday school, but these days, Miss Johnson, a 67-year-old counter attendant at a slot machine parlor, no longer goes to church. She still identifies as an evangelical Christian, but she doesn't believe going to church is necessary to communicate with God. I have my own little thing with the Lord. Miss Johnson things. Uh, Miss Johnson thing includes frequent players, she says, as well as podcasts and YouTube channels that discuss politics of what's going on in the world from the right wing and sometimes Christian worldview. Not no one plays a more critical role in her perspective than Donald Trump, the man she believes can defeat the Democrats, who is is she is certain is destroying the country and bound for hell. Uh, screw you, no. Um, this is. They, they listened to what was being preached in church and they didn't like it. 
Because one of the things which is long time ago, I went to a, a church where I had, it was down in Iowa. And this is back when I was a Catholic. And Father Howard was down there. Father Howard was a fire and brimstone kind of guy. And he himself, though, would say, don't you dare think that when he preached on one thing, which was a far right thing, that he'd come back and say, but you need to feed people. You need to give people health care. And I think at the end of the day, it's impossible. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think there are some of these churches where they don't, Jesus's teachings don't matter at all. They they have Christmas, they have Easter, they but the rest of it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all. And it's when they talk about Christmas and they talk about Easter, it's only basically about the concept of Easter and the concept of Christmas. It's not about actually what happened. They this is we are watching this evolve in front of our eyes and. A lot of these people, you know, I don't go to church, but I'm so Christian, you can't, ha- it, I, I'm just oozing Christianity. Okay, so you want to feed the hungry? Lazy people? No. <laughs> and yeah, and the, and the reason why is this is the same man, I want to remind you, this is the same man who said, don't get a vaccine for this major disease that's killing all these people. You need bleach. Oh, God. I got this horse to warmer and I jammed it up my backside and I'm feeling better. <coughs> How's that going for you? I don't think it's going too well for you. Thank God for John saying. Thank God for John saying. And, and, and the truth that that man keeps putting out there, it is spectacular. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Uh, good news, Prince fans. Uh, you might have a reason to head to Broadway as Purple Rain could be headed for Broadway. Uh, a live musical based on the 1984 movie is in the works, said multiple outlets. Music and lyrics from the late superstars hits brought to the stage by Brandon Jacobs Jenkins, a Pulitzer Prize winning playwright and Tony nominated director Le- uh, Lillian uh, Blaine Cruz, we can't wait for a new generation to discover Purple Rain and for lovers of the original film and album to experience its power once again th- this time live, said L. Londell McMillan and Larry Mestel, the representative for the group that owns Prince's estate. They said in a widely reported statement, the film's version set in Minneapolis has grossed $100 million worldwide, won the Academy Award for Best Score as The Hollywood Reporter. Noted, the team behind the production hasn't said when or where the show will debut, but a website launched for the site carries a URL, Purple Rain Broadway. I'm kind of going to put the point. If it does, okay, if it does do it like a lot of Broadway shows, what they'll do is they'll have a kind of a test run in another market. Uh, I think, what was it? Wicked started in San Francisco. Um um, you know, you, know, you can, that's what they kind of generally do. They'll, they'll get out of New York. They'll try it in a, in a, a theater, see how it goes. And then if it works well, then they'll take it into, into Broadway. If that's the case, how the hell you do not start it here in Minneapolis? I don't know because that's where you're going to get your biggest bang for the buck. All right. I'm just, I hate to be the, the, the yeah, that's, I, don't get me wrong. Everyone likes Prince. He's just amazing. But, uh, yeah, you don't, don't start it in Tucson. No, 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 no. Wrong. Bad, bad Broadway. Bad. 
Uh, did you go to, by the way, Patrick, did you go to that uh, the biggest crowd ever for a women's hockey game at the XL Energy Center on Saturday? I was busy and could not attend, unfortunately. Apparently. Did you see how much people were paying for tickets for this thing? I did not. This is I, this is news to me. You'll have to tell me. I was Well, I mean, I can't remember off the top of my head. It was, it was like $45 plus then there were service fees on these tickets. To go see, uh, don't get me wrong, I think it was great. They What was it? The It's more than 30, 13,000 fans showed up for this game. It's by far the most ever for a professional women's hockey game. It was the, the Minnesota team, the Minnesota home opener against Montreal. Uh, they, they won 3-0. Ottawa, the previous week, had a group of 8,318. Now, I think once again, you got it. It's it's new. It's exciting. It's great that people are there. Hopefully, you can if you can hold half that attendance. I think you'd be wildly successful, starting off a friend a, a new a new season there. I, I really do. The attendance record is good news for the first year league, which has ambitions of doing women's hockey with the WNBA launch in '96 did for women's basketball. The PWHL is backed by some heavy hitters, including tennis legend Billie Jean King, Mark Walter, a part owner of the Dodgers. In North America, other women hockey leagues have come and gone, with players complaining about poor wages and a lack of health insurance. The PWHL wants to change that. Uh, Excelsior native Grace Zumwinkle scored all three Minnesota goals, and dozens of follow uh, lower bowl fans tossed her uh, headwear onto the ice to celebrate the hat trick. There are at least a dozen local hockey girl teams in the stands, including particularly vocal St. Paul contingent in the suite level, that felt that both the genius marketing move and the huge boom for the in-arena atmosphere of those kids cheered the entire game. If the record holds up, New York's PWHL club plays part-time in the nhl size arena too, so... Uh, you know, we're, they're going to see if that, uh, if that record does hold. That being said, um, I, I think it is wonderful. To a point, I I really do. You know, it, it's uh, when you go to the WNBA games. One of the things, I mean, and they they should, you know, they alluded to this. This story alludes to this at the at the X with this women's hockey team. How many basketball players? How many girl athletes are there? And yeah, I think it's fantastic. I just I do think it's fantastic. I took my kids there. I I I love women's basketball. When I and I've I've told this story before. When I was down at Iowa State, I was down at KASI, KCCQ, down in Ames, Des Moines. Uh, I basically was the sideline reporter for the Iowa State women's team. And that, that and they basically, I was on press row, which was right there on the court. And you can't cheer or anything like this, but God, did they play just such a fundamentally sound form of basketball that was, that was great. And, you know, I, I've talked often about how, the men's game is is you know a lot of you know three second violations, a lot of traveling, and you know much more about you know sensational shots and and jams and stuff like that. There is something wonderful in my mind about watching a team come and set up an offense and set it up soundly and watch them just run them, run it, and it's just wow, it's great. And yeah, sure. Then then you get the improvis- improvisation when it comes off the rebound and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I think it's great. I think if these leagues do well, and and I mean, I'm not sure how many of these teams are in le- in in cities that don't have a strong girls hockey league, whether it's a statewide. I mean, was it Boston, New York? I think the Canadian cities are all up in there. 
Is there what other? Do you know what other markets the this league is in? I think that's pretty much it. I think it's just uh, those Canadian cities you mentioned: uh, uh, Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal, um, New York, Boston, and Minnesota. All right, I, I know Minnesota. I know New York and Boston and Massachusetts both have strong girls hockey programs over there. So, and obviously, it's it's you know a trip to the city to go watch the game. That's a cool thing. I think that's how you build a base. I would say this. Don't be foolish and try to put it in a place like Phoenix. Don't be a foolish and try to put it in a place like Tampa. And I understand you in, in both of those arena in those markets, you have an arena already there, but it it's, you know, you, you generally, it, it's a, it's going to be a hard sell when you don't have what you're going to get in Minnesota, Boston and New York, which is, basically a built-in audience you know and yeah i guarantee you i guarantee you there's going to probably be tons of you know season ticket sales just on girls hockey programs alone in this state and and good for them i hope it succeeds we got you know we have a what looks to be a thriving women's soccer league we've got what you know the the links they're one of the best franchises the WNBA has ever produced and now you've got this let's keep it going Let's keep it going. I wouldn't mind a professional softball league. I like softball, man. And it would, considering how good the college World Series of softball is, uh, I wouldn't be against that. Kind of setting it up, you know. I, I don't know if you'd be able to play it over at Target Field. I imagine you could. You just have to put a kind of a closer wall in. But, yeah. I, well, what do you do with the pitcher's mound? You, gotta, you can't have a pitcher's mound in softball. You gotta, and I don't think they'd be too keen on taking that sucker out. I don't. Do they take that out when they have concerts and everything out there? Or is that a permanent? That's a permanent structure, isn't it? The pitcher's mound. Yeah, so they can't do it at Target Field. We'll have to figure out something else. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Let's take a break right now. I want to come back. Get into this lawsuit that uh, Keith Ellison just filed today because this is. Yee, this is a thousand pounds of ugly, man. This is a thousand pounds of ugly. We'll get to that when I come back. It is the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. The Progressive Voice of Minnesota, The Matt McNeil Show, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205 is the phone number. So, yeah, there a, a new lawsuit filed by Keith Ellison today. This is, this is, yeah, this is ugly. Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison filed one of the largest wage theft cases in his office's history on Monday against Evergreen Acres Dairy, alleging the company robbed hundreds of immigrant workers of at least $3 million in wages while taking even more from their paychecks for squalid, overcrowded housing. I'm outraged. I'm set they've gotten away with this for so long, Ellison said during a news conference. Yeah, this is bad, man. And once again, I want to make sure, let, let, let's talk about all you far rightos out in rural Minnesota. You're desperate for immigrant labor. You are desperate for immigrant labor. And whether that's out working in the fields or working in the, 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 the uh, meat processing plants or working in the dairies, it's your ugly little secret. 
that you need to desperately have these workers there. And what's happening is as you guys keep vilifying them more and more and more and more, you're thinking that you can just treat them worse and worse and worse and worse. And this is kind of what I think is kind of the end result of this kind of mentality. A group of people who are subjected to people who constantly vilify them, but desperately need them to work. And that's where you get stuff like this, because this, yeah, this is, this is a thousand pounds of ugly. Um, the dairy farm owned by Keith Schaefer and his daughter, Megan Hill, regularly shaved 12 to 32 hours from each two-week paycheck and did not pay overtime premiums, Ellison said. Workers also said they weren't paid for the first two weeks they worked and never received their final paychecks. In an attempt to hide its violations, Evergreen's Acres Dairy did not keep employment records required by law, destroyed time cards, and falsified records according to the complaint. Schaefer and Hill, funny, couldn't be reached for comment. The details of the complaint read like they were ripped from Upton Sinclair's The Jungle or George Orwell's Down and Out in Paris and London. Some employees who worked 12-hour day shifts shared the same bed with others who worked 12-hour night shifts, and they had wages automatically deducted for rent. Workers lived in garages, barns, and other buildings unfit for human habitation. Some lived with bedrooms and bedrooms covered with mold, while others didn't even have toilets. When one employee did not work a report to work because of an injury, Schaefer allegedly grabbed him by his neck, pushed him up against the wall, and told him if he didn't go to work, he'd have to leave Evergreen within 10 minutes. Or as Republicans call, they had a conversation of employer to employee. I don't know why you're upset about this. God. I guess I shouldn't be so cynical because I guarantee you there this is so bad I even a lot of Republicans are going to be like you guys are doing what now uh, but have we had our first Republican can I ask that have we had our first Republican come on out and say how dare Keith Ellison get involved in a private business's matters if they didn't like working there they could have left at any point seems to be the point is, though, they couldn't. Here's where it gets really interesting. Schaefer allegedly threatened to kill one employee and uh, reminded the workers of a dog he recently killed while he told the other employees, many of them who were undocumented immigrants, that he would call the police on them. This isn't some dystopian fiction. This isn't the jungle describing the meatpacking industry 100 years ago in Chicago. This is Minnesota. It's Minnesota right now, Ellison said. Dairy farms are amongst the most dangerous workplaces in the country, relying on immigrant labor and facing little oversight from regulators, a ProPublica report detailed in a series of investigations. Evergreen Acres is a sprawling dairy operation running 18 facilities across central Minnesota and employing hundreds of workers. Workers clocked as many as 168 hours in a two-week period. All right, uh, that's uh, I'm gonna I'm, I can do the math myself, but I'm just gonna do it just so I can show everyone up on the 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 uh, the, the clock here. One sixty-eight divided by two. He's working these people eighty-four hours a week. 
divided by seven. 12 hours a day, seven days a week. 12 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, workers clocked as many as 168 hours in a two-week period, earning between 12.50 and 17.50 an hour for grueling farm work until the company switched workers to a salary, according to the complaint. Those workers were also tenants of the company, although they were not provided with lease agreements and were often shuffled around to various houses without notice, according to the complaint. Undocumented workers who are victims of labor rights violations may be protected from deportation under the Biden administration's policy. Ellison said his office is coordinating with the Department of Homeland Security to protect the workers for coming forward as witnesses of the abuse. Ellison said criminal charges against Evergreen Acres owners and managers could follow, but noted his office doesn't have official original jurisdiction, which lies with the county prosecutors where the alleged abuse took place. He declined to say if his office is courting with the prosecutors in either Stearns or Red Wing counties. My guess is, is those, those county prosecutors are like, you know, come on, man. Those are just immigrants they're abusing. Is, is that really an important thing? Sounds like overreach to me. Shall we hold our breath for the moral integrity of the county prosecutors from Stearns and Redwood counties? <sighs> okay, I can't do it. I could do it. <laughs> I already know I'd be dead. Minnesota wage theft penalties are among the strongest in the country, with offenders potentially facing felony charges in prison time. Yet since the law was passed in 2019, a few people have been a few people have been criminally charged. Ellison has been enforcing wage theft laws. A central focus of his administration, he created a wage theft unit in 2019. He's able to double its size with additional funding approved by the legislature in 2023. His unit has also bought class action cases against target-owned delivery service shipped construction subcontractors and major property management companies. During Monday's news conference, Ellison emphasized that wage theft hurts not just the victims but other businesses. You should be able to play by the rules and not be undercut and have your market share taken away by businesses who cuts the corners and treats people poorly said Ellison. If these, okay. Okay. Um, once again, I guess, uh, you know, if we're all going to, and I think the reason Ellison had this press conference here today is he's trying to force the hands of the prosecutors for Stearns and Redwood counties, because my guess is if they basically had their way, this would be kept quiet, swept under a rug and, well, the, the, the dairy pinky swore that they wouldn't do it again. And yet the reality is it seems like there are enough federal violations here that this place probably should be under federal charges for abuse of human beings like this. By the way, if you've, if you've not seen, this is a story I pulled from The Reformer. Take a look at that story. On the Minnesota Reformer webpage, they've got pictures of the apartments these people were living in. I'm going to piggyback a little bit on what Fugelsang was talking about last hour, is that we have this tendency when it comes to immigrants that the Republican Party is screaming, they're coming to invade! Here are people here just trying to get jobs. Who's the villain in this story? 
I know a lot of Republicans will probably say that the immigrants for not liking how they got treated. But myself, not only as a human being with a conscience, but also a Christian, would say that if these allegations are true, the clear villain here is the dairy. And if this is true that he's threatened to kill people, he's violently grabbed people by the throat or neck, was it by the neck, I think it was, and basically told them to get to work even though you were sick. By the way, how, you, how do you enjoy your milk now, huh? Hope they didn't cough too much into it. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Do you really think this is the only dairy that's treating these people like this? You go into outstate Minnesota and you see these large agribusinesses who are dependent on immigrant workforces. Dependent on them. You think that this is the only one? Heck, we've already had just in last year, we had child children being working in, in jobs in a meat processing plants. They weren't supposed to be working. And now all of a sudden we have truly what sounds like a horrible situation where people are just abusing other human beings because in rural Minnesota, I guess this is the way it is. And so this is the, cha- this is the challenge I'm going to put out to the prosecutors of Stearns and Red Wing- Redwood counties. Here's the challenge. Prove me wrong. Prove that I, my theory, my, my suggestion, that this is just the way things are in rural Minnesota. That no, Matt, you're wrong. We will not tolerate this kind of treatment of people. We don't care if it's the biggest employer in the county. This is wrong. Prove me wrong. Like I said from before, this is me not holding my breath. 952-946-6205. Yee, I need a shower after that one. We'll take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Hey, how about some happy news from our good friend, Joe Eastman, Dr. Joe. Uh, Minnesota is now the highest in terms of COVID activity per capita in the country. Great. I got my my shot here. Be careful out there. Um, yeah, be careful. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. We had Dr. Joe on last week twice. Come on, what else? We, what what else can we do? Go get your go get shots. I I, I saw a story. Now, once again, it's a story that I, it was online. So I got to be honest. I, I'm not even sure if it's 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 real, but it sure looked real. Woman skipped her latest COVID shot, and she's in ICU, man. And she's like, I didn't realize. Get your COVID shot. Get your flu shot. I don't want you sick. I don't want you dead. I don't want you in a lifetime of debt. I don't want your family members dead. Come on. Just get it done. Please. Please. 952-946-6205. Uh, kind of an update here. We talked about this. This is a few months back. But it's back in the news. I saw this and I, you know, I, you know I'm a big gossiper when it comes to some of these news stories. And I, I kind of do like it that way. Molly Dennis still resents the censure she received from her peers in the Rochester City Council last year. 
The first-term council member has spent about nine months decrying the restrictions the county put uh, the council put on her, prohibiting her from talking to city staff members outside of department leaders and administration about city business. Those restrictions ended as of January 1st, but she, the divisions it caused between Dennis and city officials remain. There was a blatant retaliation for whistleblowing, Dennis said in a recent interview, claiming the formal rebuke she received was the most harshly, harshly restrictive gag order in our city, I think, let alone in our state and maybe even the nation. So she's claiming she was a whistleblower. Dennis continues to criticize the city staffers and council members. She says we're trying to silence her voice to discriminate against her because she is neurodivergent. She's wearing, uh, weighing whether to sue the city under the federal discrimination claim through the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Okay, so I'm not sure if that's something you can do. Um, say you are, um, you know, in just kind of, you know, if, if say you you have a, a handicap of some sort, but you are elected to a city council, and your actions and behavior on the city council warrant the rest of the city council to censure you. Are you being censored because of your discrimination or are, are your, your handicap? Or are you dis- being as, as a form of discrimination or are you being censored because you were bad at your job? And I don't I mean, I, I'm not sure if that's the case. I mean, if she's got evidence that she hadn't done anything wrong, then you might have a pretty legit case. But if this is something where it's documented, where if I can remember the story from a few months ago, I think it was fairly well documented that there were some behavioral issues and some, I guess, some communication issues that were outstanding. I don't, I, you know, it's it's just interesting that you know, I you know, like I said, I, I don't know how if if they have documentation that you were censored for legitimate reasons, I don't know if they're you're going to be able to make this argument. At the same time, city staffers and and her colleagues on the council say they worry she'll continue misinforming the public and harassing local officials, which they fear may impede future business. Because the bulk of the censure or reprimand reinforces the existing council-adopted rules, I would not expect how I or the staff team navigate continued misinformation, manipulation, and singular demands to change much, said Rochester City Council member Allison Zelms. In a statement, Dennis was formally rebuked by the council in March for allegedly harassing and intimidating her colleagues and city staff. At the time, the council hoped Dennis would see the censor as a check on her at times aggressive behavior. It didn't work. The censor took away my ability to criticize my government, Dennis said. Council member Patrick Keene, who proposed the censor, said it was important to staff to see that the council was acting on this behavior in their defense. So, so once again, yeah, it sounds like the city staff was saying, you know, okay, this person is intense. Now, it, it's, you know, I, I, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to say what it is. I mean, there's a, a person in northern Minnesota, I'm not going to say which jurisdiction, but there is this this individual I, i'm aware of this a, a mega mega person was put in the city council and this person has has gone in and harassed city council city staff members mainly for personal issues like you know why isn't this 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 you know bush on the side of the road on my street been trimmed back why are you doing it at other places that sort of thing real personal agenda stuff 
And the city council is, it's not a censor sort of thing, but they've had to talk with the guy saying, no, 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 that's not how all this works. There's the plans in place and this is how it works. It's not that you as, and I think that this is in the, in the, the case of in Northern Minnesota, this is, it's one of those things where it is that MAGA thing. It's like the government is bad and evil unless I'm in charge of the government, then it's here for me to use as I want it. And that sort of thing. Very kind of selfish sort of mentality. I'm not sure exactly what the case may be here, whether that's the same thing or if it's just, you know, you know, there's, you know, I, I don't know. They, it, I don't think they really elaborated too much in the story months back either. A city funded outside investigation found no merit to Des, uh, Dennis's de- discrimination claims. Instead, outlining several instances where Dennis appeared to be hostile towards other council members and staff, including a February 2023 council meeting where Dennis repeatedly confronted Zelms and fellow city council members over concerns the meeting wasn't recorded. Several council members later told the investigator they felt physically threatened. Dennis denies threatening her colleagues. She says she talks with her hands and can be blunt and direct. <laughs> okay, it's, 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 not, it's one thing that if you're you're talking with your hands like George H.W. Bush used to, or are you talking with your hands like the Three Stooges are? <laughs> it's you know more slaps and eye pokes and sort of like this. We'll have to determine there. Yes, I don't think it was the latter. She would never physically threaten anyone. She says she feels she was being punished for pointing out city spending issues and questioning how local uh, officials operate. Each side says the other has escalated tensions in an email from city attorney Michael Spinder Craig detailed court records involving Dennis's 2022 divorce, including a harassment restraining order against her ex-husband's girlfriend at the time as evidence that Dennis's behavior was inappropriate and stemmed more for, uh, from more than her ADHD. Local media reported on the court proceedings, which Dennis said was frustrating and she fears the publicity will negatively affect her children. Dennis said the divorce was acrimonious and shouldn't have been publicly discussed. I got to kind of question that too. It's why are you bringing in the divorce? That's, uh, you know, like I said, this one is, you know, the one that I was, I, I referred to up in Northern Minnesota, that's a little more cut and dry. That's a guy that's stepping out of bounds. This, there does seem to be something going on here that it's, it's not necessarily fully a one way street. Because I have to admit, why are you bringing in a personal matter? That's That seems to be, like I said, you know, gossipy on an element here. Uh, Rochester Mayor Kim Norton, who has had her own issues with Dennis in recent months, said Dennis's behavior isn't necessarily affecting city business, but it could impact residents' trust in city officials to do their job. It's been more personal than it has been functional, she said. Norton and Dennis had a public falling out in the summer after Norton discovered Dennis was secretly recording their phone calls. Okay, that's a that's a strike against Dennis there. Back into the other court. Yeah, if you're recording people's phone calls, generally that's not a good thing. Dennis said she wanted to keep records of her interactions with city officials to ensure she wasn't violating her censure requirements as well as ensure city officials wouldn't misrepresent her words, which is fine, but you should then in the, that's how you should start every phone call. By the way, I'm going to record this because I want to make sure no one gets upset that I thinks I'm violating my censure requirements. And basically no one's misunderstanding what I'm saying. 
And then at that point, then you have your discussion. You don't do that after the fact. Norton said the recordings were a breach of trust and canceled her ongoing meetings with Dennis. The mayor said she's willing to meet with Dennis, but her talks now have to be strictly be about city business in an honest and straightforward way. If she has questions or an issue, she can always call. We can always talk things through, but I expect there to be trust and honesty, which means not secretly recording phone calls. Arguably, the clearest example of the divide between Dennis and her colleagues came in October when the council voted to deny her request to exceed her training and travel budget. Okay. The majority of the council was ready to vote to allow Dennis to use excess funds to attend a national conference in November until she spoke. Dennis criticized her colleagues for not attending similar trainings. Brought up by a longtime issue she has over the city's frequent flyer mile policy, she says is irresponsible and accused Norton of not sharing information she brings back from conferences. Norton pushed back, saying she always keeps notes and information on a desk available in the public in her office. It's really not okay to sing things that are not true, Norton said. If you really want to defend yourself for spending money, go to a conference, please do so, but do not drag down the rest of the council by or me by saying things that are not true. The rest of the council agreed, with several telling Dennis they would have, would have approved the request if she hadn't attacked them. Dennis did not attend the conference, citing financial concerns. City officials across the board say the concern the upcoming year will only lead to more fights as the council adopts similar rules into Dennis's censure. Council members will try to streamline interactions with staff to department heads to the future of policy change in the fall. Uh, Dennis said she's concerned city officials will only work harder to stifle her criticisms. She said she's tried to reach out to council members to mend fences, but it hasn't worked. Yeah, I don't think it's going to work. <laughs> she also plans to run for re-election in the fall. I won't be bullied out of office. Um, yeah, this is kind of a mess down there. Now, I'm going to put this whole thing aside for a second. I want to put this whole Rochester case aside. And I am talking just generically. It pays to pay attention to who is running for every office on your ballot. It pays to do this. I can tell you there is a race um, in, it was a city council race and there was some people in the community after the election this last year who were surprised the, of one of the people that won and ended up being far much, someone who was much more on the, the right side of politics. And they're like, I you voted for him, but I didn't realize it's like, why, how, why would you vote for someone? You don't realize who, what they stand for. And they said, well, I didn't really look into it. So you just went onto a ballot and checked a name, and then now you're surprised that the person that you checked was not someone you represented? They said yes. I said, well, that's not how a good way to do it. <laughs> you probably don't want to do it that way. You probably want to do it another way. I, I think you we, we, we have I've, – I've been hearing of some of the craziness that's going on right now in the Hastings School Board uh, down there. I keep, I've gotten some people that have sent me some notes about some of the things that are going on down there, and that sounds cray-cray, man. Now, down there, it could be the case. We have the story of what's going up in Blaine right now, where it definitely feels like, you know, it, it'd be one thing to easily blame the one city council member, but the way that that rest of the city council talks to her, that doesn't seem like that's, that's, that seems like that there's problems on both sides. And then when it was is in 
Oh, God, it was at Columbia Heights. <laughs> the one person up there. Uh, well, I don't even want to get into that. That's a mess. You need to know who you're voting for. And I get it. It's there, you know, the, the, the people who are extremists. And once again, I'm just talking about this in a generic term. The people who are extremists will always do their best to hide who they are. I, I remember from a few years back, I don't know if you remember the school board race where I is my kid's school board in Hopkins, and there were multiple people who were running for the school board whose only goal was to peel off part of the school district and put it into the Edina school district. And they didn't care about anything else. They just, that was the only reason they were there. And it and you found out there was a connection to a land developer who was looking at possibly charging, you know, twenty thirty thousand $30,000 more per house because it wasn't in that, that, that filthy Hopkins school district. It was in the most pristine Edina school district <laughs> sort of thing. Yes. That, 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 I don't know if you remember that, but there was, there were, there was, you know, the allegations and the, when people found out about it, you know, they, those guys did not win. Sometimes it's not that easy to find out what's going on behind the scenes. But I will tell you right now, there, there is, there are a lot of people out there who are not qualified or capable, capable of being in a position like a city council or a school board who are running for city council and school boards who are dependent on a system where the voters do not care. And when that does happen, you can get people who are clearly not the kind of people you want on a school board or in a city council in those positions. Once again, I am only saying this from a generic point of view. I do not want anyone implying anything. I'm saying this in reference to anyone specifically. But I will say this. We are starting to have more and more and more and more of these stories out there. And I highly recommend you start paying attention to your ballot. Because one day you might wake up and you're just like, how in the world did all these people get on these school boards or in this city council? And by the time you get to that point... Generally, it's too late. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. A, a personal message to the family of Ashley Babbitt when I do come on back. It is the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. The family of Ashley Babbitt has filed a wrongful death lawsuit against the federal government seeking $30 million over her shooting death during the 2021 insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. The lawsuit filed Friday in California federal court, which, by the way, I think is, you know, they're trying to avoid the D.C. court system, claims the 35-year-old Air Force veteran posed no threat to the safety of anyone. Pardon me a quick second. Ah! Okay, let me come on back. Uh, when she was fatally shot while attempting to break into the speaker's lobby during the assault involving supporters of then Trump uh, going and storming the Capitol. State, uh, Capitol Police Lieutenant Michael Byrd, who shot Babbitt as police evacuated members of the Congress on January 6, 2021, was later determined in an internal investigation to have acted lawfully and have the potentially saved members and staff from serious injury and possible death. 
Now, I want to make sure we stop here for a quick second and remind people there are a lot of people that say he's guilty who are the same people that when the cops open fire without announcing themselves on um, Jaleel Stallings and then beat him in the street or when George Floyd was murdered by Derek Chauvin saying, you know, cops have a hard job. You need to you need to kind of you need to kind of put things out there for them. <coughs> yeah, sure. So but a lot of people, a lot of people who basically are turning on this cop will go out of their way to make any excuse for any cop when it comes to any other shooting. Let's just be honest about it. Now, I will say this, I think the Capitol Police officer had every right to shoot. It was warnings, it was there. Ashley Babbitt's mother, Mickey Witholt, Hoft, W-I-T-T-H-O-E-F-T, attends a candlelight vigil in support of the so-called political prisoners of January 6th. I call them traitors to the country, sure, potato, potato. In the lawsuit, which was filed by a conservative group, Judicial Watch, on behalf of Babbitt's widower, Aaron Babbitt, and her estate, contends that she was ambushed by the officer, however. Ambushed. She's trying to crawl through the window into the house, the speaker's lobby of the U.S. House, and somehow she was ambushed. Ashley was unarmed. Her hands were up in the air, empty, and in plain view of Lieutenant Byrd and other officers in the lobby, states the suit, which is, led, by, by, by the way, while she was ignoring their direct orders to not come through the window. They allege wrongful death, assault, and battery, and various negligence issues. Once again, her storming the Capitol, crawling through a broken window, which she helped break, and getting into a lobby where law enforcement was telling her to, with a, a pulled weapon to not come through that lobby as they were trying to get the, the, the House and the Senate out of there. Once again, it's, she was just trying to deliver her list of grievances. Bull crap. I personally think Ashley Babbitt's one of the worst traitors this country has ever produced. And anyone that puts her on a pedestal is scum. She was, she tried to overthrow the government of the United States. And I have said this as a former member of the U.S. Army, that if I was on the guard post and I had that same decision to have to make, I would have done the same thing. I would have warned her. I would have dropped her. That's what you do in a combat situation. And that was a combat situation. You guys keep trying to portray this as some sort of, we were just on a tour group and we saw, we were just, we saw a congressman. We just wanted to drop off our list of grievances. No. And I, I, I would love to, for you to have to explain how every person there, even though we know there are people with weapons, there are people with guns, there are people with chemicals, there were assaulting cops, but that one, that the Ashley was okay. Um, Bird said he was forced to take lethal action, tried to wait as long as he could as a mob of protesters broke the door's window and tried to make their way through. Their fail to comply required me to take the appropriate action to save the lives of the members of the Congress, myself and my fellow officers, he told NBC News. Babbitt's mother, Mickey, has continuously held protests on their daughter's death, has called for the hanging deaths of Beard and former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. She's been arrested twice in retaliation in relation to her protesting. Not retaliation, in relation to her protesting. They have not pressed charges against her in either case. This is not someone we should be putting on a pedestal 
this is someone who's basically trying to argue they won the game six months, eight months, three years, 12 years, 20 years after the game finished. Ashley Babbitt's a traitor to this country, in my opinion, and I'm entitled to my opinion. And I hope the government doesn't settle with her. I hope they take her to court and make her try to prove it because, yeah, that'd be a hoot. Native Roots Radio is up next. Have a good one. We're back tomorrow. Until then, see ya.